People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Jules Blaine Davis is a kitchen healer, a TED speaker, and one of Goop's leading experts on women's healing. She's the author of a new book, The Kitchen Healer, The Journey to Becoming You. She's on a fierce journey to spread permission, freedom, beauty, and love like wildfire all over our phenomenal lives in and out of the kitchen. Jules has led transformational gatherings, retreats, and client journeys for over 15 years. Welcome, Jules, to Health Gig. Thank you. I love being here with you. Trisha and I were so excited to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit through your book, but we want to start the podcast by asking you a little bit about your background. We understand you're a poet, a singer, a dancer, a performer, a painter, a mother, an author now. And a goop contributor. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're a lot of things. So <laughs> tell us how you came to be. <laughs> how long do we have? Just yeah. <laughs> Oh, expression is so awesome. And it I didn't realize that it was the healing modality. Anything where I was expressing um, myself, you know, art or any expression of self in the culture or kind of how I was raised, you know, is kind of this, you know, separate thing. <laughs> it's like a hobby. It's an elective. It has a place in a way in the culture. And it's not like woven in to who you are. I think it's becoming that, but definitely in the 70s, early 80s, when when I was a small green <laughs> uh, weed coming up through the sprout. soil. Uh, sprout, thank you for the right word. Um, uh, my tea hasn't fully been um, imbibed. I would say that, and in my family of origin, of course, everybody has a different shaping and different place that they grow. In mine, it was maybe that's who you are. And, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do in your life, you know? And I would say that that's where doing and being, just sharing right now, it's coming through is, you know, that's where the divide began. And so for me, in dance and in, in singing, you know, it wasn't so much, oh my gosh, she has it. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh my God, she's an opera singer and she's going to go somewhere, or she's a dancer and she's going to be in the ballet, or she's a, it was just, that's what I wanted to do. Like, I just wanted to express myself. That then turned into, because so much of the invitation in the book is to be that and do that. You have a body, you can dance. You have hands, you can draw. It's not so much about whether you're necessarily good at it. You know, that becomes the divide. And so really, in just sharing with you here, I'm realizing, oh, they were all healing modalities. They were all ways for me to get closer to myself, which is what my invitation is around what it looks like to nourish our deepest life. A couple of questions on that. When did you change your hair to be pink, which is beautiful? And then also, could you read to us what that is behind you? Oh, um, yes. I could you? absolutely read that. That would be great. Me. Just so that our listeners can see our visual right now. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. The pink hair. I mean, why not? A, why not? Um, it's like B, an It's been pink for many, many, many years in all its different phases. The great thing about pink is it fades to light pink and it's forever. It's a forever conversation, which is what this work is. And so really the pink hair is for you. 
I mean, it's fun on Zoom. I can kind of see myself, but for the rest of my day, you're not looking it's not at really it. Others for me. are. Yeah, yeah, and so it kind of sets up people to soften their lives <laughs> in the it. moment, and it also works. No other color does on my skin tone. So there's a few things where. <laughs> It's very pretty and feminine. Actually, I like it really it. is. Were, it really is. When you first see you, you notice it, right? But then as you're talking, it really does just sort of blend with your whole description, you know? Right. In terms it's of not meant to ourselves. be, again, a divide. No. Like we were just talking invitation. about with the art. It is, it is an invitation. An I invitation. love that the hair is an invitation. Okay, it's an invitation. Another, here's so yeah, another one. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. I am a woman who is hungry for all the truth I can muster, who craves lightening the heaviness we all carry, who nourishes the light and dark, who believes in a life full of messy beauty, who trusts my breath, who yearns to be cozy inside the many wounds of cashmere, connecting the broken pieces with a sharp needle. I am a woman who is hungry to spread like wildfire about permission, courage, vulnerability, and shame. I am a woman who will feed you. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. It wasn't like I just woke up. I'm like, I'm going to write this huge poster. That's not what happened. Um, definitely fantasy alert police. I just like share that, that I like piercing fantasies constantly because um, that's really nourishing in our culture of like, you know, oh, it's topical and perfect and never enough. That needs to go today. It needs to go every day. This was a beautiful offering at the TED Talk that I was at the year before I spoke at the TED Talk I was at in LA. There's an amazing woman, Jill Valley, who created this kind of movement called I Am a Woman Who. And you would sit, do a timed writing, like quick one-two, and then she would read it very quickly, circling all the things she loved. And then with her non-dominant hand, she would write on an enormous craft paper roll this, and then she would take your photo in front of it. Wow. Oh, neat. So is that and, her yeah. handwriting? We're yes. Okay. And so she did that. And then, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you can just keep it there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm taking this thing yeah. home. This was like amazing. And so wow. it's always been up and it's in the book. It's yeah. a texture mm -hmm. in the book. So let's talk about your beautiful new book, The Kitchen Healer. It's a cookbook, but it's not really just about cooking. It's about cooking up a nourishing life. Is that right? I love that. Yes. How did you come up with the concept, really? That sounds so professional. And like I did it in a linear fashion. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is not what happened. <laughs> you know, the constant question was like, what are you going to do with that? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I don't know. Like most incredible things, and I would say like most incredible recipes, things come together in time. And like one of my phenomenal mentors and coaches would always say to me on repeat, it's a long game. You know, I didn't, again, from my family of origin, come from it's a long game. <laughs> it was called know it now and, you know, get an Oscar for it within 10 minutes. You know, I didn't have like 
<laughs> oh, progress and process. And like, I didn't really have that. And I'm, you know, I have 9,000 moons in fire. So like, it didn't, you yeah. know, match me. Like, I'm like, let's do this and let's do it quick. Like today, yeah. you know. What did your parents do? <laughs> my parents, it? you mean for, for, for what for they did in and, their time. Yeah. Yes. Well, my mom actually is an artist. She didn't follow that until later. And what that really meant and looked like, I think she's been also healing her whole journey, her whole life has been that. And also motherhood, it's complicated, right? It's not just like a one-two conversation when it comes to what she came from and how her rewritten story was really in marrying and staying married and raising children in the best way she could from where she came. So I would say that was her work. And then she went back to school, I mean, got a degree in almost everything, and uh, <laughs> she was an artist and many things. My dad was a neurosurgeon. You know, okay, that's, okay, we're getting that's no the big deal to, to grow up with, right? It's exactly. just like, you know, let me just go out for an hour, save a life, and I'll be back in a minute. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and everyone's joke of like, it's not rocket science or brain surgery. I'm like, kind of is in my house. You know, it came with a lot of different things, you know, and I'm sure there are many different kinds of brain surgeons out there. For me and for where, you know, how we grew up, there was three of us and I was the baby. I would say I had the best chance, honestly. I got to take a lot of notes yeah. on what was okay and what wasn't and all of those kinds of things. And that's all in my work. That's all in my book. My work has been to heal all that was occurring there. So you talk in your book about our mother's story and yeah. how we begin our story inside of hers. Can you talk about that? Because you talk about carrying parts of our mother's stories that she hasn't healed and things like that. And we can look at it as, you know, I think a lot of us, especially in our early, you know, 20s or 30s, whenever we wake up or we come to meet something that's really like, oh, my God, this has been on repeat, or I keep choosing the same person, or I overwork, or I keep meeting yourself in those places. You know, they're stories we carry. We think they're ours but they're not. They were inherited. And so those stories that we carry, and just that alone, right? Like before I go too fast, when we just take a moment and steep in the idea that, oh, all of me and how I was shaped was inherited. It's not so much about not claiming my experience. You know, it's not going, oh, I'm a victim and these are all my stories that didn't get you. For me, it makes space for me to look at it with curiosity, with a little grace, with a little love. Because in speaking with women, and I know you both know this, it's like, you know, we're constantly scanning the field for what needs to be fixed and what's wrong and what I do all the time. And that script is so old. I mean, it's tattered. It doesn't serve us like at all. You know, you go and meet with someone and then, you know, you're on the drive home. It's like, what did I say that wasn't really okay? What did I, you know, it's like a Rolodex and a tornado. Right, it's right. like, we're just constantly trying to look at where we could have bettered or fixed or been there for the person. Like, we don't know who we are. That's the sign of, oh, I don't actually know who I am. And so in terms of our mother's stories, it's so not about blaming them anymore, especially as we get older and we have kids and we're like, okay, I see how there was no tools for this. Okay. <laughs> a little grace, a little love, a little softening, a little insulation around the like, why didn't she or what was wrong with them? You know, it's like we start to get softer and more tired. 
and the story gets exhausting. And so I always share about, you know, this work, this is a forever conversation, the work around what it looks like to nourish your deepest life. It truly is the journey to becoming who you are. And we're doing that forever. I'm never graduating from the program of becoming me. Yeah, You know, it's like we're just in all the different places of our lives. So in terms of stories and how we come into the mother's stories, it's almost like, you know, almost like a tag team. (laughs) It's like, okay, these are the things you didn't heal. I'm going to intention to heal some of those. How did the kitchen become the safe container? Because you said in the book, you felt angst with your own mother, but in the kitchen you could relate because it was a safe container. Yeah. The kitchen is so phenomenal. It's where the stories are created for so many of us. And we may not know that until we listen to this podcast or we, you know, have a moment with each other or you come over and there's some butternut soup on low happening and you're like, oh, what are you making? You know, that's the invite in to who are you, you know, and the kitchen is so many things. And it starts in the beginning, again, in our home of origin. You know, is it an airport? Was it a gas station? Was it industrial? Was it just fill it and rush out? You know, what were the values? We start to learn what the values of our parents were. You know, don't be late. No, just grab a Pop-Tart. You know, like whatever it is. Or no, we're sitting here and they can wait. Like whatever the story is, is how we become in that early time. And that's all happening in the kitchen. And it's historical, it's patriarchal, it's archaeological, emotionally, it's socioeconomical. It's like it hits every area. Were we sitting there and that was important? Was it no standing and eating? Was that a value? Or was it grab it and go? Or you'll just get something later in the vending machine? Or nobody said anything because nobody was awake or even there? All of those things are how we were nourished or not. And then we go from there with what else we're doing in our lives. And you know what kept coming to me as we were looking at this is you talk so much about inviting our bodies, inviting us, Mm. you know, for our bodies. And I kept wondering, where in my body is the kitchen? And I think you're right. I think it's like, this is a lifetime deal. Where is your kitchen? You know, I don't know, but I love the idea that what you just said, like we draw into the kitchen, all the things for me growing up for meals, it was always, we said prayers before always, there were always the rules, you know what I mean? And now when you said that, I thought, oh my gosh, that was so important to my mother, you know, her faith and her prayers. And, you know, for us, it was routine for us. It was what we did at dinner. We sat down as a family, but that just is amazing what you just said. I mean, that, that's everything what you're that's sharing. That's everything. Yeah. There was ritual and there was a moment, you know, so it may not be your moment and whatever those values were with religion, you know, and then again, right. what happened at the table was there like, you have to finish that before yeah. you leave, which was mainly from the depression. Like, totally. Right. And then we're in 2023 doing the same thing. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> going, laughing because I can remember what? sitting in, because we moved around a lot and I remember we were in Pittsburgh in the kitchen, in the kitchen. And I just remember I couldn't get up from the table because I wouldn't drink my milk. My dad, it was my dad. <laughs> that, that story I hear all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then you end up later being, you know, you were lactose intolerant. <laughs> yes. Like you weren't meant to eat Your the body milk. knew. Exactly. Your body right. knew. And then it was a constant. True. And that was that generation. That's why I'm always saying it's a below the neck conversation. So we right. walk around like this. 
Right. What body? That's in the TED Talk because it's so true. This is our body above the neck. What? There's a whole <laughs> country <laughs> below so our necks that is so incredible. We make human beings. What? Yes. Yeah. You know? Right. And so right. it's like, I don't need to know everything about that, but that's pretty profound in its own right. I just have to laugh, Trisha, about your story because in our family, it was my mom and Paola who took care of us, used to make Marvin eat his peas and he just hated them and he couldn't eat them and he'd swallow them one by one. And it turns out later in life, he was allergic to peas. It's just so could, could this be written anymore? And then it's not only that, it's not like, oh, don't listen to your body, which is, <laughs> that's enough trauma probably for the rest right. of your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a new inherited story. Hey, <laughs> yay. And also like what you want, what you're hungry for in your Love life. That. Yeah. Which is everything. Just like everything. how you want to serve as a human being while you're here in the unknown period of time we're here. How do you want to do life? How do you want to live? I mean, no matter how successful you are, you're still asking that question. You could be the CEO of a major company and you're getting a life coach going, who am I? That's a broken system. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a true. broken system. And so when we nourish from the beginning, and again, there's no perfect way of doing it. It's listening. It's slowing down. It's a recovery. It's like, oh, you don't want to eat that over and over again. Then why am I making it so stressful for me? Wait, you know, right. this is stressful. Why do I keep making this so stressful? Why do I keep making the peas? This makes no sense. We're talking about the stories that we carry around. And how do we wake up to a new story? I love that question. How do we wake up to a new story? I mean, a lot of the time we are like I said earlier, meeting the old story, that's pretty important. Or we're like seeing it and going, I mean, is this living? You know, you meet enough people or you travel and you start to expand the aperture a bit. And then in the realms of rewriting a new story, I think it really does begin with yes. It begins with no could be yes of I'm no longer doing this anymore. You know, it's that moment where it's just like, I can't do this anymore. This is not manageable. I really want to change. And so that's custom in the realms of how we do that. You know, so many of us do so many different things in terms of how we rewrite our story. And of course, in the book, the book offers this invitation over and over again inside the heart work, inside, you know, gathering a team, finding a coach, you know, a kitchen healer, therapy, traveling, you know, really I would say the number one thing, and it's a recovery term, but contrary action, you know, it is doing the thing that you would never, ever do. And that's what creates change, right? Like Einstein shares and so many other people have quotes around the fact that you can't change something by doing the same thing over and over again. When we shift something and what I share all the time inside rewriting a story is it's quiet. It's quiet work to get up from the desk and take 20 minutes to go take a walk. I would say for me, I can use that example. That's like major. Like I want to be like, I did it, everybody. <laughs> I got out of the chair. You know, like I an know. elf musical, you know, like I made a tea for myself during a meeting. You know, like I, I like these are basic yeah. things. Like I peed when I needed to and I didn't <laughs> hold it. You know, like I mean, yeah. things that are like so embedded in us. It's and so and true. yet we made, like, I made a step toward myself. Oh my God. You know, and that's what this book is. It's yeah. almost like fraudulent 
But it's not because we come from a culture that is so hungry. We're so used to holding our bladders till the end, not eating until later, and then we get a migraine. Like all the little things that we're like, ah, whatever. It's not ah, whatever. It's not living. We're suffering. Right, right. And those things then get bigger. It's not like, oh, autoimmunity in women is 80% more than men. I mean, hello. I mean, it's not just like, how random? You know, it's not random. I love that contrary action. This is a great term. I think that the other piece that's in our way, again, it's all story-based, right? It's like people will look at me and be like, oh, Jewel, she just, she's so free. You know, I can't tell you how many clients like, oh my God, if I dance like that, my neighbors would. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Are you living for your neighbors? Love ya. And here's the thing. Don't need to be me. Okay. So already two things down. Great. We had a good day. We're already productive. Now we get to look at you. Who are you? What freeze you? What feels like ease in your body? Like with the holidays here, this is the most alive time for this work, right? We're going to come up right straight eye to eye with our stories, what everyone expects us to do, what we normally did. But you know, this year it's a little too much, or I really don't feel like it, but I'm going to push through. Like, are you going to push through? When are you willing to love you? You know, it's intimate and it's quiet. It's so powerful. And when you surround yourself with people saying, yes, you know, the beauty of as you have your gatherings, right, collective healing, when there's a group or even some friends get together and I hold these, you know, private retreats or private sessions, it's like you can hold each other accountable to rewriting the stories together because they're embedded in everything. It's like um, eggshells in a smoothie is what I say. You know, it's like if they fell in there, you're like, I mean, it's protein. It's good for you. Or have they totally like, is it going to kill my throat? What's going to (laughs) happen? When we slow it down to like even the question, like, again, that has a story on it. Is healing not feeling any pain? No, not in my version right. and never seen yeah. that before. Right. <laughs> um, right. Is healing making sure that you have a timer on your phone in those heightened times when everyone's coming over and it's going to be a four hour dinner, you know, that every 10 minutes on the hour you're getting outside to just take a breath or right. you're making a wood board love and you're feeling your feet, Aww. you're putting on music you love, you're lighting a candle and you're making it yours. Yeah. That is a healing. That's what people want. We mm. think they want, oh, I'm going to be what you want. Well, right. that hasn't worked for generations and it's killed us. So it's not working. So let's then claim it. And when we claim it again, in the smallest ways, no one's going to know. Because everyone's up in their own whatever, and they're hungry too. What about the ones that are healing and feel like they have to come to you and say things to you to heal? (laughs) Doro gets it a lot. That is not healing. (laughs) That is not. (laughs) That's an unrecovered human being. There's a lot of that. And so it's when people do that, they don't have power. They're afraid. They're trying to make it safe. And so when you know where their story is, even just in that, just in, I want you to heal so I can feel safe. Like if you're awake and I'm awake, yay, that's great for all of us. I'm going to take on that job. No, no, I'm not going to take on that job because you're going to be ready when you're ready. This is a perfect example, what you bring up, you know, oh, you know what would be great for you? I was thinking about da-da-da, or I went to see this great energy healer and I'm thinking that you da-da-da. And you could be like, oh, thank you. The end. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say the end, but you say, thank you. you. And then if they keep going... 
how do you get in your own lane and how do you love yourself in that moment? It's not to stay there. Nope, it's not. It's to go, oh my God, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, sure, email me. And then exit left. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and then go get yourself a little warm tea. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, that was a yeah. win. I didn't engage. I didn't right. take the bait. I nourished myself. Or, oh, you know what? I said I would call da-da-da. Love that. Thanks for sharing. Because I am now, finally, I want to be happy. I don't want to be right. Because I'm not going to change your mind if you are a borderline narcissist. It's too big of a job. (laughs) I I quit. (laughs) I I didn't even know I even applied for the position. Oh, I was born into it. Okay. (laughs) Um, And it was stories that were inherited. And some of them are just... They're not for me. Yeah. And so it's okay. Like you still think they are. I have siblings that they really feel like they're going to change that. And it's so harmful. It's almost violent watching how painful that is, that interaction and that relationship. And it's grooved in, right? It's the neural pathways. We just, we get stuck. So have this book on the kitchen island so I can remind you. Have a wood board out, have a candle, like, right? Just have something out to remind you. Oh, wait, back to me in the studio. Yeah, right. With love. Can you describe the wood boards and how you talk about it in the book? Yes, I love wood board love is the bridge. I always say it's the bridge towards yourself. Because if you're someone, you know, if you're listening and you're just like, I do not turn on the fire. I don't know what this pink fairy is talking about. Um, (laughs) And so, yes, wood board love is that essentially that bridge into nourishing. And what it is, is the board is so beautiful. You know, I have a a amazing artisan that comes from a lineage of of woodworkers, and she makes these heart boards. And wood board love is essentially, it's a legacy piece. It's a rewritten story around, you know, running on fumes, waiting for dinner, watching obligation just turn into disaster, and really, you know, kind of killing the whole idea of what food and nourishment can be. Because again, coming from the 50s, 60s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, it was food was like a industrial thing, like just get it in and be done and move on to getting to the real thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, Now it can be, oh, I didn't meditate today, but I'm going to do it now at the sink. Now it can be, oh, I didn't get my breathing in in the morning, but I'm going to light a candle and breathe and I'm going to get the wood board, which I always say have it really right there and accessible because so pretty you can just have it out wherever. It's not a platter. It's not, you know, cutting on another thing. No, that's not what it is. Thank you for making more work for yourself. That also doesn't serve. You get to cut on the board, make incisions on the board, stain the board. When you go to Italy, when you go to Europe and there's worn spoons, there's worn boards, there's worn copper pots, all you want to do is like get into a pot and take a nap. I mean, right. like everybody's <laughs> just like, I love it in here, you know? And so you want to make your kitchen feel that way. And so when the board is out, you have a bread knife. I always share that it's a bread knife because who has time to sharpen their knives? And if you do, yay, go team. You have more space <laughs> than I do at the moment. And so having food out. And even the way we put food out in wood bowls, things we love, take out the silver, uncover that couch. I have no idea how long I'm going to be here. I want to see the beauty. I don't want to just do it on one holiday a year. And that really does come from my mom. I mean, she is such a beauty maker and there was beauty everywhere. 
it has really become such a medicine. And of course, the beauty that I, you know, the way it was then, beauty can be a bathtub of dishes because they're all the dishes I love. You know, they're not just like, oh, yeah, no, those were given to us and it's fine. That's from my mother-in-law from my third marriage. I mean, like, we don't need that energy in the sink. I want everything you look at to be something you love. And usually that's a very minimal amount of things. That's not today you're going to go on a shopping spree because the healer said you need to. No, those days are over. You don't need the topical. So anyway, back to Woodboard Love. Cut up an apple. Take the tops off the strawberries. Put a little gorgeous bowl for the pits for the Costa Veltrano olives. Put things out. It's not an event. It really honestly isn't worth it. It's like make the board. The boards are the bridge to really (laughs) our angst and our nervous system. Like when my kids are hungry or when I get home and, oh my God, I only have 30 minutes to make the dinner for whatever. I don't really set myself up that way anymore. But if you do, this is the beauty of wood board. You just cut up a block of cheddar, you cut up a little apple, you put a little olives in there, and then you just have it out. Then you can cook. Then you can do your thing. And everyone will say, then the next thing is, oh my God, but I mean dinner and waiting. And that's a story. That's a story. Wait for dinner? What? Who came up with that? Well, definitely when there wasn't a lot of food and we were all, the value was to sit together. You can still sit together if some one person's full and one person's kind of just noshing. Like what possibility once we realize, oh, that story isn't really mine. I don't want you to wait for dinner because you're not regulated and I'm going to lose it and become violent. Because that's what I saw in my background, no matter how much I know and how much Gabor Mate I've read, I'm going to lose it (laughs) because you're hungry and I don't know how to heal that because I'm trying to cook and I haven't eaten and my marriage is on a string and I wasn't able to pay that bill. I mean, all the things. And it's just like, oh, just cut up food on a wood board. Oh, that's a good idea. And then I can get my body there. I can light a candle. And this was, of course, younger kids. But even now. With the teenager, you know, he's like looking in the freezer while I'm going to make this gorgeous pasta. I'm like, simmer down with the freezer. Hold on, just go take a shower. (laughs) And then he goes, takes a shower and he comes down, there's a wood board and there's no discussion, which of course I love. I'm like, I'm going to put the music on. Now I'm going to cook. I'm going to have a healing while you're fed. And I'm fed. I'm eating too off the board. It would be kind of interesting to try that, like to do a wood board just for yourself, (laughs) you know, so then you're going down to lunch and it's going to take a second. Oh, I might have a piece of apple and it's so beautiful there. Kind of like a reminder that you're serving yourself, which is kind of cool. Instead of it being an emergency, like on an airplane. Right. You know what I mean? Like the mask on, like, oh my God. And everyone's like that. I'll never do that if that happens, you know? And it's like, let's just start with the wood board. (laughs) There's so many ways I screwed my children up. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to just tell them all they needed to start a wood board now. Make up for my past. <laughs> You're going to model it. You're not going to tell story. them anything. You're just buying the book for them. them for and then every time they come over, there's a wood board out. That's a good one. The That's end. A, yeah, the just end. Model. I don't have yeah. to go back. I always say I'm going to be tell. an incredible grandma. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's where we are now. You're going to do Woodboard Loves as grandmas, and then they're going to see it and be like, wait, mom, what the heck's going on? And you're like, oh, I'm doing this thing, and I'm finally learning, and I'm just nourishing the apology and amends to you. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Along those same lines, in one of your sections on heart work, you talked about creating an altar, an intentional space to hold what you're healing. And I remember, Tricia, you did that when your husband died. And I thought it was such a beautiful thing. And I love that it's in your book and you talk about that. 
I love that, Trisha, that you did that. That's so beautiful. A Mm -hmm. space for him. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't go away, and who would want it to? I would say that parts of ourselves need that. We do it for the big people in our lives, or we don't at all, and so you're just a healing just by sharing that here. And then the altars that I share about in the book, it's so I don't forget who I am. Even just here in my desk... This is a custom painting I had made. She's Beautiful. she's also in the book. But even on my desk, there's altars, right? I have my candle lit for us. There's my dad. All these things that, you know, remind me of me. You know, something that says courage, a candle with matches right there. Like, it's not matches in the cabinet by the dining room table. No, I grew up that way. I love that. Little candles everywhere. I love that. No, if I don't see it, I'm not going to remember If I don't see it, I'm going to be like, uh, you know, when we move, I'll be like, oh my God, here's all the candles, you know. And so when I have them out, out of the container, like I'll have this cup that says courage, right? And I'll put tons of tapers in it. And then that's out. So I can go, oh yeah, I'm going to do that right now. You know, the word alters my perspective, it's like, oh, it reminds me, like at the sink, I talk about having an altar. If you have a space right there where, you know, we're all doing the dishes all the time, whether we like it or not. And no matter how much help we have, I mean, we're, we're there. We're there at the sink. What do I want to see? Who do I want to be? You have this opportunity to live in your space. And again, where is the space outside, but then inside? And there's always that invitation, if you do your reminders, to live. Not like, exactly. yeah. And I love you say it a lot in the book. It's your messy life, you know. It's our mess. Right. That's right. us, you know. Which I think I is really- I will not show you like, my mess right now. That's <laughs> almost the generational jump. And I love when women come together, you know, I'm- in my late 40s, and then your kids are older now and having kids. And just that jump, just those two or three generations between us or four, you know, whatever those are, I'm not a historian by any means, but in the realms of just how much can shift, like growing up where the finial matches the lampshade and the thing, more in a maybe privileged realm, and then how unimportant that is for me now, the fantasy of that is like this way we were doing it or the way my mom learned how to do it, do life, do her home. Where was she in it? And was it the way she was or was it just the way that you do it? Right. So I think the thing that I'm inviting us to is when you go home, when you're in your living room, when you're in your kitchen, like, does it feel like you? Like it might match and be amazing. And if anything, I would love to have a Four Seasons moment or a St. Regis moment with you. It's not like when I go there, I'm like, this has got to get messy. No, I mean, I'm like, this is amazing. I think what I'm really speaking to in the invitation is permission. It's permission. It's not, this has to be with this. And even East Coast to West Coast, I feel like, you know, West Coast has this more like bohemian feel, even if it's haute couture, it's like, all the wallpapers go together, but they don't really match. You know, it's like, oh, and then the pink hair and the whole thing, you know, there's that freedom in that, but really it's an inside job. It's this place inside us, you know, so I don't want to get too far away in our conversation for the listeners where it's like, oh yeah, you know, I look around and it's, you know, it really looks perfect. What I'm asking is, does it feel like you? Do you remember you? 
in your space. Like, and so in the kitchen, it's like, sure, you can have the Cuisinart and the KitchenAid and all the things are all the right pastel color and, you know, chrome. And are you using it? Are you crossing the threshold to use it? Does it call you in? That's really different. That's a different way of living. One of the things about your book is that you sprinkle poetry and word definitions throughout the book. How does healing your language heal your mind? Language is so, it's like what we did earlier, you know, let's just pause and like open up that sentence. You know, what is healing, right? Instead of what we think the cultural version of healing is, you know. And so I would say language invites us to get to know it a little more and basic language, like when we just can, again, on an altar, bringing that back, you know, I'll see courage or I have on my desk, you know, I love us and I, it's a card. I love buying cards for myself. <laughs> I'm like, no one will buy this for me. I think I'll buy it for me. <laughs> I, for some reason, find great cards. Um, so I buy them for myself instead of waiting Pour love on it is another thing I have on my desk. And it's like, it just reminds me. And so, yeah, it shifts something, you know, perspective, what we see becomes who we are, which is pretty much everything we're sharing. And it's not just in the language. I think that language can be oil and water. It can be the oil. It can stay on top. So you have to keep mixing because if you let it go stagnant, I call this work a recovery and really a discovery. It's an everyday experience. So in the book, I invite you to create ritual, to wake up and turn on the fire. Wake up and take some breaths with me. You know, meditation can look a million different ways. It doesn't need to be in an ashram with a thing and a robe. Like, that's not how I'm doing it. So I love that. And I'm, I'm not getting to Bali anytime soon. I'm in my kitchen. I'm raising my kids. I'm newly separated. I'm, you know, many things. Life is in session. Life gets lifey. Life is in session. That is good. Life yeah. is. And so as it does its thing, that is for me, the pain the mortality journeys, all the things, the PhDs I didn't apply for yeah, <laughs> is what I call right. them, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm here for it. And so if I'm going to be here for it, I want to love it. I may not love the invitation and also whoever RSVP'd, what? I didn't know I was going there. I'm going to make sure I have some pillar candles around. I'm going to make sure that there's a wood board. I'm beside you. I'm on your team. I'm going to reflect to you with the headlamp I'm wearing because I've been doing this headlamp work my whole life with myself, along with thousands of women, being with them in their stories and rewriting them. And so let's do this together. It really is collective. What do you want to end the podcast with? I really love this. I'm going to read. It's what's come through with your question. I tend to listen to what comes through. It may not be the thing that I want to do. <laughs> But I work for a higher <laughs> energy who's here with us. And so I'm like, okay, you know, call it whatever you want, doorknob, higher power, I don't care. But the fire, anything that's bigger than me. When you asked that, I thought this page, because I read this page along with a few others at the reading that I did here last week in LA for the launch of the book. And so I'd love to read this because it is actually the end of the book. This is called Becoming You. To become is to begin to be. Yes, please. 
I love beginning to be. I love that we are always on a path of beginning, even when we are inside and ending. The timing may not be exactly how you thought it would be or how you saw it going, yet a life happening for you is the life that is right here. And it is always right on time, no matter what you do. As you create a practice to lean in and listen to your longing, you will learn that you are forever in the unknown as you heal and live and breathe and grow, and life will continue to invite you forward. When you open to the earth around you with her beauty and immense offerings, you can find your way back to yourself. Every time you feel this, you will experience yourself in a deeper way. When how you see your life changes, your mindset changes. When your mindset changes, your life transforms. As you turn on the fire, feel your feet on the floor, and heal in the ways that nourish you, you offer yourself to the earth. In truth, we are all working for her. She is our bigger body and the unconditional mother we have deeply longed for. There is nothing more to know. Your awakening is your becoming. Your becoming is an offering to the earth. This is not only how you live your life, it is also why you become who you are. When you become you, you shed, unravel all that heaviness, and over time, you are lighter to carry. You are not broken. You were never broken. You are whole and holy love. And in this wholeness and holiness, you are no longer afraid to love you. As my healer, Dr. Eileen Kinney says, Life loves you. Life has you. Life is on your side. I can't seem to hear this enough. Every single time she says it, something inside of me shifts in alignment to heal again. I hope this happens for you here, in seeing and feeling the visual language through art and poetry and showing up intentionally for your heart work. May this continue to shift you into your deepest living. As you gather your things, picking up your basket and taking your last sip of love tea for now, may you feel the truth of all truths. You are enough. You are beyond enough. You are the most magnificent being. Your life's journey is powerful and profound and precious. This is now your healing field. I see you and all that you are growing. There is nothing like tending to your own deep belonging. I feel this here with you. I hope you feel it too. The medicine of slowing down and saying yes to your life is the way to nourishing your wisdom. It really is a forever conversation. You are a sacred offering. You are a radical kind of intimacy. You are becoming you. Oh, so beautiful. Thank you, Jules. Thank You're you. magnificent, and your book is magnificent, and we highly recommend people buy this gorgeous book. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, I love you. I loved us, and I'm so happy for everybody listening. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.